Welcome to episode 85 of George's Random Astronomical Object. Every episode, I run a random number generator to select random astronomical coordinates in the sky, and I then search for an astronomical object near those coordinates and talk about what makes objects so interesting to astronomers. So, I will now turn on the random number generator. And the random number generator has printed the recipe for a blueberry smoothie. In the blender, combine 250 milliliters or 1 cup dairy milk or plant milk, 125 milliliters or 1 half of a cup of a thick plain yogurt, such as Greek yogurt or skier yogurt, and 375 milliliters or 1 and a half cups of frozen blueberries. You can also optionally add one scoop of plain or vanilla flavored protein powder. Blend all of the ingredients until the blueberries are completely chopped up and serve immediately. If you try that recipe yourself, you can send feedback to the random number generator at www.randomastronomicalobject.com. The random number generator has also printed the coordinates of 16 hours, 47 minutes, 4.0 seconds right ascension, and negative 45 degrees, 51 minutes, 5 seconds declination. These coordinates point to the object Westerland 1. Westerland 1 is an open cluster, which means that it's a scattered but overdense gravitationally bound collection of stars that all formed from the same nebula at the same time. The cluster is about one-tenth the diameter of the moon, which means that it's rather small-looking as seen from Earth. It's located in the constellation Ara, which is supposed to represent an altar, and both the cluster and the constellation are located sufficiently far south that they are difficult to see from areas north of the tropics. Because Westerland 1 is located in Ara, it's also called the Ara Cluster, which is weird because it's not the only cluster in the constellation. Additionally, Doing a Google search on the phrase ARA Cluster will turn up several websites related to an unofficial server for the game Ark Survival Evolved, which is a multiplayer survival game involving riding around on prehistoric creatures. Most professional astronomers seem to call this thing Westerland 1, and they seem to use the anglicized version of the name Westerland, so I'm going to call this Westerland 1 for the rest of this episode. As you may have already guessed, Westerland 1 was discovered by a person named Westerland, or more specifically, the Swedish astronomer Bengt Westerland. Westerland found the cluster named after him in 1961 while surveying the Milky Way using a telescope called the Uppsala Southern Station, which was so named because it was located south of Uppsala, Sweden. More specifically, the Uppsala Southern Station was located on Mount Stromlo in Australia, which is indeed very far south of Uppsala. Bengt Westerland would go on to discover another cluster that was named Westerland II, and if I were to believe what Wikipedia says on this topic, Westerland discovered a third cluster named Westerland III. However, 
I didn't find any mention of Westerland 3 outside of Wikipedia, so I don't believe what Wikipedia says on this topic. Anyway, back to Westerland 1. What banked Westerland noticed right away was that this cluster appeared to be heavily obscured by interstellar dust, which is probably why the cluster was not discovered until 1961. The reason why the cluster is so obscured is in large part because the cluster is located 13,800 light years or 4.23 kiloparsecs away from Earth in the plane of our galaxy, which is where most of our galaxy's interstellar dust is concentrated. Interstellar dust affects starlight in two ways. First, it absorbs starlight, making stars behind the dust look dimmer. Second, it tends to make stars look redder in color. Since the light from stars in Westerland 1 has to pass through over 10,000 light years of this interstellar dust, it ends up looking rather red, even though many of the stars are actually very blue in color. A few years ago, I would have expected that very few people would have actually seen or noticed this phenomenon on Earth. In recent years, however, both Australia and the west coast of the United States have experienced severe forest fires that filled the sky with smoke and turned the sky red. This is the rather frightening, hell-on-earth equivalent of what happens when the light from distant stars passes through dust in space. Given how severely interstellar dust affects the light from stars in Westerland 1, it's almost surprising that professional astronomers would want to actually study the object. However, Westerland 1 has turned out to be a truly special open cluster. It is, in fact, the largest open cluster in the Milky Way that we know of, which means that I get to use my applause sound effect. Its total mass is somewhere around 50,000 to 100,000 times the mass of the Sun, which means that it could be expected to contain roughly that many stars. That, in and of itself, makes it cool. Anything that calls itself the largest is always going to be very interesting, and that includes the largest species of whale living in the ocean, the largest building ever constructed, the largest pumpkin ever grown, and the largest ball of twine ever created for a roadside attraction, although several locations claim that their ball of twine is bigger than everyone else's. However, Westerland 1 is not cool just because it's the largest known open cluster in our galaxy, but because of what that means scientifically. But to understand this, I need to explain some things that happen when a cluster of stars form. When a cloud of interstellar gas collapses to form new stars, that gas cloud fragments in a way that results in more smaller stars forming than larger stars. So if one star the size of the sun forms from a gas cloud, that gas cloud will also produce about 5 red dwarfs with half the mass of the sun and about 40 red dwarfs with one-tenth the mass of the sun. Meanwhile, for every 200 stars the size of the sun that form from a gas cloud, one blue hydrogen-burning star with 10 times the mass of the Sun forms, and for approximately every 13,000 stars the size of the Sun that form, one blue hydrogen-burning star with 60 times the mass of the Sun forms. So, 
when stars form from their star gas, relatively few of these stars are very large stars. Additionally, the really big blue hydrogen-burning stars have relatively short lifespans before they first transform into red supergiants and then explode as supernovae, so they tend to be rare. Hence, if astronomers want to find lots of big blue stars, they are going to search for a star cluster that is both really big and really young. As I said before, Westerlund 1 is the biggest open cluster that anyone knows about, and it appears to be less than 10 million years old, which is rather young when considering that the Sun is about 4.5 billion years old. That makes Westerlund 1 a great place to find lots of young blue stars and things associated with young blue stars. In fact, it's a great place to find lots of stars that are really large, really rare, and really weird. So, if astronomers want to find blue supergiants, they can find loads of them in Westerlund 1. If astronomers want to find really large stars that have transformed into red supergiants or things called yellow hypergiants, they can find loads of those stars in Westerlund 1 as well. If astronomers want to find Wolf-Rayette stars, which are evolved blue stars that have blown away their outer hydrogen gas layers to reveal shells of helium fusing into carbon, they can find many of these stars in Westerlund 1. If astronomers want to find the latest video game console, then Westerlund 1 has quite a few, although the shipping times are a bit long. If astronomers want to find magnetars, which are pulsars with really strong magnetic fields that form after really massive stars explode to supernovae, Westerlund has one. Westerlund 1 is even the source of gamma rays, which are extremely difficult to find either on Earth or in space. As you can tell, Westerlund 1 is like a giant stellar superstore. If astronomers want to go shopping for some sort of really massive but really rare star, they are going to stop off at Westerlund 1 first. And that is why astronomers get so excited by Westerlund 1 and the location on the Earth's surface corresponding to the position of Westerlund 1 in the sky is in the southern Pacific Ocean, about 2,100 kilometers south of Rapa Nui, also known as Easter Island, and about 2,450 kilometers west of the islands in southern Chile. Unlike Westerlund 1, this is the type of place where you will find nothing. It's the opposite of Westerlund 1. I bet even fish avoid this area. If you want to go somewhere where you can find nearly as many things as you would find in Westerlund 1, you can go to the website for this podcast at www.randomastronomicalobject.com. You can visit the website to download episodes of the show, read information about the astronomical objects, view images of those astronomical objects, look up additional reference information, and send me random feedback. The audio was recorded and edited by George Bendo. The music is Immersion by Sasha Endy at www.sasha-endy.de and the sound effects are from the Freesounds Project at www.freesounds.org. Thanks for listening. 